jumping into a new series called Heaven, Hell, and Hope. Hi, Paul. Some of you are like, can you say that at church? Isn't it gonna, you're going to offend someone, probably, unfortunately. Um, but we're going to preach the Bible because we think it's really important that as believers, we don't just have a glimpse of an idea or a kind of second, third-hand understanding of heaven and hell and why our eternal hope is held in Christ. We have to go to the Bible. We have to be educating ourselves by the biblical narrative and get beyond some of the limited mindsets and thinking that exists. Those limited mindsets and thinking exist in the church. In the church, you get the escapists. It's like, heaven is so good. Get me out of here, Jesus. Take me to heaven now. I am ready. I mean, you're too young. There's too much to do. God wants to do good things with us. There are the the romanticists, and heaven is just a whole bunch of kind of marshmallows and little babies with wings flying around playing harps, and it's just this cute, cushy picture, but it doesn't really hold you. It's a nice idea, a nice painting on the wall, but it doesn't hold you. There are the, the, the distracted, where this earth has got so much of our attention, so much of our focus, this life has got all of our energy that we have no energy to think beyond and engage the promises of beyond. So I want to call us in this season to be the hopeful with a, an eager expectation for the promises that exist for our eternity with Christ, having and living daily and even processing the decisions in our life and how we respond in this life because of an awareness and understanding and a willingness to eagerly expect the eternity that is to come. The challenges our perspectives are fashioned by many different forces. And in our world, we have the influences. You know the influences. Hashtag, I'm an influencer. Hashtag, follower. Hashtag, follow Violet for your summer body. Hey, Violet, what do you say? I was so stoked to see her at church this morning. I thought Violet had moved to Joburg already. She's moving to Joburg end of the month. So amazing to see you. you've been such a blessing in this church. And uh, I know we might have a week or two, but I just wanted to say we really appreciate you. We're going to miss you, but no God's doing. And, um, but there are the influencers. There are those who write songs. So some of them, I'm going to appeal to the older generation first. Who remembers Eric Clapton? He said, Would you know my name if I saw you in heaven? It's like he's asking that question. He's like, will you even know my name? Yeah, that's what's important to him. We had Belinda Carlisle. She said, ooh, baby, do you know what that's worth? Heaven is a place on earth. She thought it's, yeah, she's, that's her theology. She's got that kind of theology. Bruno Mars, though, thinks he can be locked out of heaven for too long. And she, he's there. Led Zeppelin, there's a stairway to heaven. Brian Adams found it hard to believe in heaven. Julia Michael, Michael thought all good boys go to heaven. So everyone's got a perspective. It's not like people don't have a perspective. Even people who aren't believers and don't profess faith in Christ, they talk about heaven. They write songs about heaven. And, and we see movies, Bruce Almighty and all these other movies. We see every um, kind of cartoon series from South Park to Tom and Jerry have heaven scenes where someone goes to heaven and how that plays out shows the thinking and often, unfortunately, determines many perspectives of it. So old Tom, who's been harassing Jerry for his whole life, ends up in heaven, gets to the gates. And the cat guy there says, sorry, you've got to go back to earth. You've got an hour to get forgiveness from Jerry. And he's like, ah, I'm never going to get that. I've given him a lifetime of torment. And we start living with these understandings that we're going to get to some gates. And someone's going to tell us to go do something we can't do. Will we get in? What about the artist? And the artists have 
drawn paintings and painted paintings about their perspectives of heaven. I mean, I don't know what's going on here, but it's a lot. <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to even try guess what this guy was thinking or how bad his coffee was that morning. But this one, also, there's a lot going on in his head about heaven. These are literally called heaven. The next one's even more insightful. That is heaven on top and earth below. But they all kind of look like they're waving at each other. I'm not sure. I think heaven's going to look a little something like this. Just say. It's like just a nice, easy par four with a, a whole, just the sea behind a breeze. I would love, I think everyone's going to get their own golf course in heaven. I'm just saying, personally, that's, un but that is also incorrect. See, we struggle with heaven. We think we got it. We think we know, obviously, oh, I'm saved. I've got my fire insurance from hell. I'm going to heaven. That's where it kind of ends for most. It's got to be so much more. And we struggle because we live in an age of instant gratification. If it's not happening now, tomorrow, this week, if I can't see it, if I can't reach it, if I can't touch it, if I can't get there now, it really has no impact on my life. Yeah. Any service delivery that doesn't deliver to me now is not real to me now. Yeah. And with heaven being eternity beyond the 70 years, even though the incredible um, Moses said that this earth will be like 15 minutes. It's not, we think 70, 80 years. He's saying it's like a watch in the night. Psalm 90 tells us. We struggled that Instant gratification isn't available in this. We also struggle with time. We can't control it. We can't get it back. We can lose it easily. And, and, and we, can't, we can't manipulate time. Time happens. And so the concept of an eternity where there's a limitless time is a challenge for us to get. But I don't think those are the big reasons why we struggle. I think there's a big reason, and this is the greatest problem. We are too easily and too quickly satisfied in this life. Satisfied by good things that a good God gives us. We get satisfied by too many things too quickly in this life. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are too easily pleased. See, we talk about cheesecake and we say, it's divine. We, we, we go on a good day at the beach. We say, hashtag the best life ever. So I want to speak today about the promise of heaven. I want to give a little subtitle to it. It's better than you could possibly dream or imagine. To believe anything less, I think we're struggling because we just need a glimpse of heaven. I'll tell you, you want hold, something to hold you in tough times? A glimpse of heaven. And in the Bible, we see these people who had glimpses of heaven. Elisha and, and his young servant, Ezekiel. And we see Jesus gets baptized and heaven opens up and the Father speaks. He has a glimpse of heaven. We see Stephen at his stoning and he seems to have peace. He seems to have joy while he's being stoned. Because heaven opens up and he sees into heaven. We see John in the book of Revelation has this revelation, this, this incredible vision into what heaven is like and shares it with us in the book of, heaven, of Revelation. And Paul seems to be caught up. He says someone else, he knows someone, but most commentators say they believe he was pulled up into a vision of heaven. I haven't been to heaven, so I just get the Bible. And I think that's helpful enough. And if God chose to give me a vision of heaven, that's awesome. But I've got the Bible. So I've got to go to the Bible to navigate this life, to form and fashion my hope. 
See, the challenge is, what do you believe? It's easy to be in this room and go, well, I'm a Christian. Obviously, I believe in heaven. No, do you believe in heaven? Have you ever heard a preach on heaven? Have you ever heard a preach on hell? Have you ever heard theology about it? Because the Bible mentions a lot. Jesus mentions a lot. We need to know what we believe because if we're going to put our faith in something, we've got to put our faith in something we believe because we've done the work. And so we're preaching this series and God is going to speak to us. And C.S. Lewis reminded us, says, aim for heaven and you get earth, but aim for earth and you get neither. There's got to be an aiming for heaven in our lives. Now, not in an escapist kind of way where I don't want to live my life on this earth. No, in a way that I'm reminded there is an eternal story in my story because of Jesus and Jesus alone. So today, it's heaven. So we're going to read from the book of Revelation. All the end timers are like, come on, come on, finally, this is church, finally. So I'm going to give us some rules for reading from the book of Revelation. Is that helpful? We need some rules here. The first rule is the most important rule, is that John did not write this book as some kind of secret code to decipher the timeline so that one or two people have the answer. He didn't write it for that purpose. Somehow Christians read the Bible from Genesis all the way up, and, and, and it's like, we Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But we get to Revelation, mm, fortune teller glasses, come on. I'm like, I know exactly what's happening, when it's happening. It's a Friday at 2.30. Where? Because Jesus said, no. And then some dude comes on and he went to the third heaven and seven, 12 mountains and he's there and he's telling you what day Jesus come back. I'm like, the Bible doesn't agree with him. Just got to be honest. So this is, we have to take all our fortunes, but this is the symbolic vision and the whole book of Revelation is a symbolic vision that brings hope and challenge to the first, to the first seven churches, to the first generations of the church and to us today and reminds us that there's a much bigger story, that Jesus is coming back, that there will be judgment and trial, but Jesus is coming back for his bride. That's why we're given it, to see Jesus. The vision of the book of Revelation is so we can see more of Jesus not have more answers to things we don't need answers for. I can't answer whether you are going to take your Labrador to heaven. My own Labrador pilot asked me the other day. I said, boy, I don't know. <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> he didn't. <laughs> I'm just being naughty. I need to pray. Is that cool? It's more for me than you, but come with me. Jesus, we worship you. We honor you. And I pray, Spirit of God, as we sang 10 minutes ago, would you show us Jesus, show us the Father, and give us an appetite for our eternal promise in you, Jesus. Amen. So I want to speak about the promise of heaven, and I've got a few points. And each point I'm going to read from the book of Revelation. But the first point is this. Heaven promises a limitless life. Let's read from Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. Sorry, surfers, fishermen, I don't know what to tell you. In the vision, there's no sea. I apologize. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older things. All the order of things has passed away. This life is full of limitations. Age is a limitation, and physically we are limited, and time is a limitation, and, and health is a limitation. There are just limitations 
everywhere. But heaven will not have those. It says there's a new heaven and a new earth. We get pulled into a big story, but the most glorious thing about the story is not the fact that there will be no limitations, not the fact there will be no sorrow, no pain, no joy, no, 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 no sickness, no sin. Those are the promises of heaven, but that's not the reason heaven is heavenly. You know why heaven's heavenly? Because we get unlimited access to God. We get His presence. Every square inch of humanity permeated by His glory and His splendor. And as we navigate the heavenly realms, there's no darkness or light. There's just Jesus. That's the promise of heaven. It's just Jesus. And yes, it's amazing there's no sickness. Who hates sickness? I hate sickness. I hate cancer. I hate it. There'll be no cancer in heaven. But I won't celebrate because there's no cancer. I'll be so caught up with the glory of God. And it's important that we understand that, that, that that's what makes heaven incredible. It's not the absence of things. It's the presence of the glorious one. Secondly, heaven promises every promise will be fulfilled. Every promise. It says this in verse 6. He said to me, it is done. Say that with me. It is done. I did that once while we were online. No one spoke back. It was awkward. It's nice to have you in the room. It's really much better. Thank you for being here. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. To those who are victorious, those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Maybe some of you just heard water without cost. Oh, no utility bills in heaven. No water costs. I, I can't tell you Eskom won't be there. The Bible doesn't tell me. But there is no night, so probably no load shedding. But um, I digress. But the promise is this. We get these promises, and they are fulfilled. The first promise is this uh, that gets fulfilled. There's the spring of life from Jesus himself, and it is done, which means every desire and every promise you've held on to as a hope for the next day, the next story, the next thing, and the promises people have made that we get disappointed by, and the promises governments have made, and the promises that medical field have made, all these promises, we won't need the promises anymore because Jesus says, it is done. We'll never be dissatisfied. We'll never live in a state of, I'm holding on for tomorrow's promises because today will be glorious. I hope I'm making it better in your head. I hope I'm moving you to a position of longing and desiring and pushing into saying, God, I'm not, I'm not dying to go home tomorrow in heaven, but I'm telling you, it's something that'll hold me. It'll hold me. And the second promise is this. He says, those who are victorious in this life, and the only way you're victorious in this life is the blood of Jesus. He says, you get an inheritance. You get an inheritance and you become the children of God. You are home. A whole life. There'll be measures and moments of promises waiting. Why? Because we're not home yet. We're not home. We're stuck in this state of liminality. We're in between. Jesus, I don't know why I'm spitting so much. I'm just excited. And I can see it in the lights and it's distracting. I'm like, who's doing that? Stop it. But we're stuck in the state of Jesus has come and Jesus is coming back. And in the middle, there's this awkward liminality of we're seeing measures of heaven breaking in, but we're not seeing everything. We're in heaven. We'll see everything. It'll all be satisfied in Jesus. So point number three is easy. Heaven promises never ending and can I add ever increasing satisfaction. There's this law that exists in our world. It's called the law of diminishing returns. 
If you've studied commerce, economics, you get it. It's this idea, and maybe we can put up that, at the start, anything, any good thing is amazing and has these increasing measures of satisfaction that we enjoy. But anything in this life will have a time where that measure of enjoyment and satisfaction begins to decline and eventually begins to come negative. I'm going to use an example. Ice cream. I was a part of Magnum Ice Creams for years. So I had free access to ice creams, literally, all the time. On the first one, it was incredible. It's like, ah, on a hot day, who needs lunch? Just eat ice creams. But then you're tucking into the second one, and then you remember, ah, I'm lactose intolerant. So this is a problem. Can't breathe through my nose. On the third one, you're starting to feel effects. By the fourth one, you're like, get me out of here because something wants to get out of me. And you realize there is a diminishing return on even something as wonderful as a magnum. Now, let me give anything else in this life I would present to you as a law. More money, more time, more energy, more effort, more, uh, more love from someone. Anything will have a measure of diminishing returns. But not in heaven. Because heaven's not limited by the laws of this earth. And the answer isn't rooted in, in, in anything other than the character and nature of God and rooted in God's infinite ability. We'll never be dissatisfied in heaven. We will never ask for more. We'll never have to. My kid, Judah, his first words were mom and dad, and then his next word was, one more. <laughs> one more sweet, one more food, one more this, one more. He just, he just couldn't help himself every time. One more. There'll be no one mores in heaven because we'll be completely satisfied. I, I don't know about you, but I've never been completely satisfied. This life is designed around Promotion, I'm not satisfied. I want more. Blessing, I'm not satisfied. This is who I am. I'm not satisfied. I want to fix it. I want to change it. Watch some crazy video about a guy who spent hundreds of thousands trying to make himself look like some Ken doll. I'm like, I'm so sad for you, my brother. I really am. I'm sad. But in heaven, those desires, those dissatisfactions will not even be a part of our makeup. Who wants a life without dissatisfaction? Let's be honest. I want to laugh with Jesus. Heaven promises a new garden of Eden. And so obviously John's symbolic kind of vision into this great rebirth is that there is a new garden of Eden. It goes like this in Revelations 22 verse 1 and 2. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. There's so much there. there, from the numerology to the promises to the nature of the promises. But the big things I want you to take away is there's an all-new Eden. In the Eden of old, it was this garden with one tree of life where two people could exist with God, Adam and Eve. In this new garden, there's just this river's covered with the sides of the, of the field of the river being covered with the trees of life and they are bearing fruit every month. There's no limitations of seasons, autumn, summer, winter, spring. There's no limitations on bearing fruit once a year. It's every month the trees will bear fruit. And do you know what the best part? It's not just two people there. It says the healing of the nations. The nations will be there. Every tribe, every tongue, every story, from every background, every continent, the nations will be there. And the picture of the restored fullness of the promise of the church. 
that the church is designed to be this all nations gathering and the healing of the nations will be fulfilled in the new Eden. Come on. I love this stuff. For number five, I want to go forward because I know some of you are thinking about the Springboks right now. Stop it. Give me five minutes. Stop it. They're only playing in 45 minutes. Breathe. Heaven promises a new Jerusalem. Revelations 15. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it is wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurements, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundation of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. There were jasper and sapphire and agate and, and emerald and onyx and ruby and chrysolite, beryl, topaz, turquoise, jacinth, amethyst. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great streets of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. No more potholes! That's what I took out of that. <laughs> Never again. Who's keen for that kind of city? Now, this is amazing. This is a new creation and a new Jerusalem. Why is that important? Well, what was Jerusalem? Jerusalem was the first city built where God's presence would be placed in his temple in the city of the center of the city, and the kings would praise him. Where David praised him, and when these mighty kings praised him, which was awesome. But those cities were made by the hands of men. And they were led by men who, was cor who were corruptible and who tripped and fell at times. This new Jerusalem is made of precious gold and all these diamonds. And why? Because they're made by the hands of God for his people to host his bride. Not corruptible. Not limited. Just a bridegroom preparing a city. So will people get on with life? Will we be productive? I think we'll be as productive as those trees. But without the strain and pain that we feel in working long days, sometimes in broken economic systems, we'll be productive with our king in his presence, in a city that is productive, bringing glory to God in perfect union with our king. And so we can get stuck on little details. Or we can fix our eyes on Jesus and say, in the book of Revelation, can I see Jesus in eternity and reminded that I will live and be reminded that there, every square inch of that city will be permeated with his presence. No sin, no brokenness, no darkness. Two more points and then we're done. Heaven promises wide open spaces. See, the challenge with this life is sin into the world and sin a part of every part of life. And the nature of sin is to rob, kill, and destroy and to limit and to make smaller. Sin promises a bigger world of experience and opportunity, but at the end of the day, all it does is rob, kill, and destroy and make it small. But this is what John saw. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light and the Lamb its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter into it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful 
but only those whose names are written in the band's book of life. Why is that important? Well, it starts like this. I did not see a temple in the city. Why is that important? Because in the limitation of our age and our time, when God sent his presence, the only way he could send his presence was to send it into the Holy of Holies, which was carted around on the Ark of the Covenant. They would set up uh, these tents right in the middle of God's people, and only the holiest of them who had confessed all his sins could go in with some chain and limitly go in. Now, there's no temple. There's no need. There's no need for separation. There's no need for his presence to be limited to a temple. Because his presence will be in every square inch of the new city, the new Jerusalem, the new Eden. And we'll live in space. No limited gates, no smallness. No, don't go there. And we struggle with that in this life. Struggle with it. It's okay to struggle with it, but know that in eternity it won't be a struggle anymore. Because we'd never want to leave his presence anyway. And lastly, heaven promises a whole new creation. And I don't have time to teach this, but the whole hope of the story of the Bible is God's domain, heaven, and man's domain, brokenness of earth, will become one in a new heaven and a new earth. And we don't understand it fully. And you can write, you'll read books and people will describe it. I'm not going to deny people have had experiences. That's not my place. I want to tell you, though, where the Bible calls us, where God calls us to go is to his word. It's like, show me Jesus. Heaven isn't a place like some holiday destination we find on the internet because we want to get out of Dodge. Heaven is a home. Heaven's going to be my home. It's going to be your home. And Jesus puts it this way as we land. He's talking to his disciples. They're a little bit rattled. They've got some troubles. He says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. Maybe you need to hear that today. Do not let your heart be troubled. He says, well, how? He says, trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. He's talking to his disciples. He'd explained to them. He'd said to them, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way to the Father. No one comes to the Father but through me. And he says to them, don't be troubled. You know the way. It's me. If you're a believer today, I want to say to you, don't be troubled. You know the way. It's Jesus. When you're there, you'll be satisfied. There'll be no pain, no disappointment. But we've got to walk the way. How do you do that? He says, trust in God. Trust also in me.